Well, hello again. This is Javid, co-founder of FieldWire with another episode of From the Ground Up. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Brad Moore, the Construction Technology Program Manager at Power Design, one of the largest specialty contractors in the U.S. And so a couple worlds about Power Design. They're basically a Glassdoor's 2020 Best Places to Work winner, number 16 electrical contractor in the U.S., as well as the number 42 ENR specialty contractor. So kudos to them for their phenomenal growth. Today, we have Brad Moore, as we mentioned. He's a Bachelor of Design and Architecture from the University of Florida, and would love to hear a couple words from you, Brad, on how you got into construction and into this role. You know, some folks have some very different directions of how they ended up in the construction industry, uh, different stories on that. Would love to hear, you know, what was it that kind of got you down the architectural path and then over to power design? Yeah, I think it might have been my uncle, actually. <laughs> so my uncle was in the uh, construction division of the Air Force, actually. And my grandpa was always really hands-on. And those two always had projects going on, were sticklers for detail and all that other stuff. And, you know, just enjoyed the design process. And I had it in my head that I was, you know, going to be the great architect at some point in time and my young vision of what life was going to be and all that. And then started getting into it and went to school and school was school, right? And graduated and then quickly realized work was work. But through the whole gamut of all of that, it's always been about the process. And I think that, you know, a lot of that for me, kind of like growing up, a lot of things that my family was always into, particularly my uncle was all about the efficiency of it. Both of them coming from the Air Force, everything's always connected. Everything has a part place piece. My dad was an accountant, my mom's a teacher. So, (laughs) you know, the details in the DNA, some level, right? But haven't really been able to piece the psychology, all that together myself. But so anyway, going through uh, my first few years of work, I actually graduated in 2008 and pretty much dead center of the (laughs) <laughs> the heat of the recession, which was fun time and place to be in architecture. <laughs> so I ended up working for a full service A&E firm, architecture engineering firm in Tampa that did a lot of municipalities, schools and stuff like that. And they were using Revit back then. I had actually had taken courses on initial Revit release in high school, became really interested in it. I had you know, some good friends that went into engineering and they went into like, you know, CATIA and that realm of drafting and the engineering and like manufacturing realm. And we had always had like a lot of conversations about how to, you know, can you manufacture building in the architectural process, right? And it's a much more controlled environment in their realm, but, you know, it's much more chaotic when it comes to actually building buildings and going through all that. But BIM was like kind of the start of it for all me in terms of really trying to understand how everything could be connected in the process from reading the same visually, the same information and communicating it. And I think being in that A&E firm, like in my starts, I learned, you know, we're primarily in the communication business, right? I mean, for as much as we're designing buildings and coming up with game plans, at the heart of it is we're really just communicating with each other. (laughs) So, you know, I've, taken that with me. And I've stressed that on anybody that I've had the opportunity to mentor or train or bring up or anything like that. I'm like, Hey, your number one responsibility is communicating. So when you think about going down rabbit holes (laughs) or anything like that, just think one, is it actually improving our ability to produce, right. Or to communicate our productivity or or communication, right. So are you trying to do something faster or is it going to make us 
communicate better or like, you know, just keep that at the forefront of what you're doing. So I kind of became very interested in that aspect of the whole construction industry as a whole in terms of, hey, we're really just a bunch of people trying to communicate concepts and ideas and game plans. You know, BIM and Revit was like kind of like the first piece of that, but it's really about construction documents and then it's about information exchange, right? So what information is relevant to who and when? And honestly, that theme has kind of been at the core of a lot of, I don't know, it's just sort of guided me through my career. Everything that we're working with, the technology and, and the different people who are utilizing it and these really about transferring information. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, it's pretty core to you guys. I think you're one of the few people that has ever set up a Slack channel just to communicate with us. So obviously, you guys really take that to heart in terms of how to uh, collaborate with folks. I'm not going to lie. I hated Slack at first. <laughs> I was like, all right, information overload, too many people talking to me about too many different things. But once you learn how to, I guess, channel the chaos, that's what it's all about anyway, right? But Regu is a big believer in Slack, and he definitely likes that collaboration and linking all activity and movement through that channel as much as possible. It's just a good feed, you know? We had a little bit of a challenge internally adopting it as well. So we always try to dog food on our product and try to manage everything within FieldWire when we're trying to do communication. But, you know, some more communicative components, you know, Slack, especially when we had multiple offices became quite helpful to kind of have those discussions. But even then it's kind of entertaining for us because we have people having those levels of conversations. But then when someone asks for work to be done, we're like, no, 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 that's back to task form, like kick it back in the field wire because we're not going to remember that someone asked someone to do something in Slack, which is, I think our biggest challenge, even when we use it is you end up with 15 different discussions going on and you're trying to remember where you actually were once you move on to discussion 16. So All those side convos will kill you. Yeah, yeah, it's rough and they just keep popping in nonstop on your screen. It definitely promotes, you know, don't be afraid to ask the dumb question. You know, it's like, hey, just put it out there, man. It's better we all know where we each stand on on this kind of stuff. No, it's actually been one of the most best parts of the product for us as well is when someone is just asking that question of like, hey, do we know of X? And it goes out to you know 50 plus of us at the same time. And we can get an answer on it faster is one of the best benefits of it. That's for sure. Nice. Brad, you've been at Power Design for seven years and we're talking about like, you know, how rapidly things are changing, like Slack is being deployed, all these different tools. How different is it today for you than it was like the very first day you joined Power Design? How fast has that change felt? You know, there were less than 20 people in the VDC department when I joined. And then we were crammed in the same open area with about an equal amount of people from our engineering team. I think we had some fire alarm crew in there. I think we had the voltage team also. I think we had a random security guy hanging out. Like, we, <laughs> you know, it was just like an interesting shuffle of people because they were like, even when I joined, they had started to sort of outpace the space of the single building that they were in at that time. But when I joined, they were still using AutoCAD and I had to take a step backwards a little bit actually, because I came and I was like, Hey, you guys totally have the ability to start using building information modeling and start, you know, kind of adopting and leveraging some of these platforms. And really that where my entry point was for that specific sub department. Right. And Dave Hughes, who was my manager at the time, and he's still here too. You know, he and I are big promoters of you know the utilization of technology and communication platforms for coordination as well as 
organization and structure and all that stuff, but at like the team level. And I will say that as far as like the willingness of the construction industry to adopt, it's like we kind of were the ones that were able to get our hands and experiment more on the technology. And then we're like, hey, guys, this is pretty cool. Like you should look at it. And, you know, as soon as you start talking about it to people outside of the department, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. And, <laughs> and it's one, you know, to them, you know, their lives are so stressed with the volume of work that they have and they have their tried and true methods of you know, the Excel based and, you know, cranking out the emails and working on what they got that, you know, we hadn't even been on plan grid at the time. Like they were using, I forget, but it was some sort of super God awful painful upload process where it's literally one sheet at a time that they could upload to this repository. And it was basically an FTP site. There was no way to view it on iPads. So there were no iPads there at the time. And it was just like, you know, it was before, you know, the mobile based plan management piece. And I would say that that's actually probably like the entry piece to like introducing technology to the field was like, hey, here's your plans in a paperless format and a highly consolidated and quickly navigable method of searching and looking for your plans and the, you know, and the tablet and the plan management piece within the document control was, I think, ground zero for introduction of iPad and sort of cracking open that can of worms as far as giving more technology to the field. We also... You know, we're just trying to get better at consolidating just our method of producing documentations and like authoring content. So, I mean, you know, even on the AutoCAD level, there were things that we could do to clean it up. And then came point layout, you know, and introducing that and exporting CSV files to the field and having specific people who were trained to use total stations and data collectors to actually lay out points and and even that where you just start to lay out for them and you know you're like hey what took you guys like a crew of guys in a week to do you can have one guy do in an afternoon <laughs> they didn't believe it <laughs> so that's a good question i mean we hear all the time about deploying you know technology and construction being difficult but i think you're touching on something that's really important which is i guess making sure that the adoption is simple around it not changing really some of those workflows, but actually just kind of improving upon them. Can you kind of expand upon how you went around bringing that technology to the teams on site and how you got that level of buy-in? The supers are key. That's the short and sweet version. (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, you got to find support internally. Like you got to prove it. You have to find the internal and executive support that like see and are willing to take a chance. And that's what's great about our executive team is they're very for, they understand innovative processes are a process to implement to begin with but they also see that you know they're very open-minded and understanding and wanting to explore and dive into the roi on them and then once you are able to sort of win over and show them and they're always they're hungry for more innovation that's one of our core values at power design is to be innovative and tech forward and you know as part of our just our makeup of power design and that takes a leap of faith and it takes a faith in your innovation team but it also is them saying like, hey, they have the relationships, the executives and the project executives and the project managers and the regional vice presidents and all them. They have, they know the people who are open-minded in the field, who have been with the company. They have the trust factor. It's like, hey, I'm going to ask you to do something a little crazy. Just help us go with it and trust us. And, and we're going to trust your feedback too. I mean, we've had our share of, you know, 
quick failures and just fall on our face moments. But I mean, they understand and see where we're going with it. And, you know, if you get a super on site, you can sign up for something and you can give them a small win. You give them the next win and the next win and the next win. And all of a sudden you've got a process rolling. Brad, when we talked last week, you really talked a lot about the culture of the company, how the culture of the company is really fueling a lot of this ability to change. Can you give us a little bit of a background on the power design story and maybe like the history of like what's fueled that culture? Yeah. I mean, it's straight from the top. We have great leadership. I mean, they have great family values first and foremost, and then they have great belief in their people, you know, and trust in their team to do the job. At the same time, it's a no bullshit (laughs) terrain, you know, it's like, don't fluff it and say what it's not just, you know, you get called out in a second if you try to cover something up or try to spin something a certain way. I think that mentality of like, no, let's be straight up about what it is. It just is what it is. And let's deal with what it is, you know, and I think that, you know, the ability of our leadership to analyze and cut to the chase at the heart of a lot of issues and, you know, realizing it already is a communication thing. Do we just do some bad math? What's the deal? I mean, our leadership team is very good at cutting through all the data and helping to steer the ship in the right direction. I mean, in terms of like building the culture, you know, I think that them realizing that the employees are the company, the employee growth is important, which is basically a support for our actual scaling of the company, right? I mean, just in this industry of having a limited talent pool for certain things, we have to promote growth, we have to promote training and that knowledge transfer to support you know, where we want to go geographically, as well as just volume of work in general, but it's all about maintaining the integrity of it. Nice. And I guess just taking a step back too, if I remember this correctly, I think kind of the power design story is a little bit of the American dream, right? In terms of it was a husband and wife founder starting it kind of a small business out of their uh, dining room. Yeah. Yeah. They were working out of their home. (laughs) I mean, as far as like the, the exact details of who his partners were or any of that. But I mean, it definitely 1989, you know, they started their business truck and ladder garage kind of deal. But, you know, I believe Mitch was in the Bay Area, Tampa Bay Area primarily. And, you know, kind of spun it up from there. I don't really know what his big break, quote unquote, (laughs) was where he got that first like huge gig. But I mean, I'm pretty sure he just kind of, he had to bust his tail to get it going and keep building those relationships with the customers, which is still our primary focus today is having direct relationships and direct referrals from our customer base. Like we don't really do a whole lot of cold calling or anything like that. I mean, a high percentage of our customers are repeat and we have a direct relationship with them. I mean, when we have owners saying power design will be on the job, you know, that GC, you don't have a chance to, to bid an electrical contractor. This is who you're working with. That's awesome. You know, there's some interesting components of uh, Power Design that I've noticed over time, which is, I think for the scale, you're one of the few that still run everything out of one office too. Is that correct? Yep, that is key. And that, I guess, probably also dovetails back with why communication is so important is to be able to run that so efficiently across the entire U.S. just out of Florida. Yeah, no, it's key to the culture, to maintaining the integrity of the culture. It's the nucleus for sure. You know, we have our field personnel and our teams, but we try to you know, the thought process and the project management styles and tactics and tools and setup and workflow and all that stem from a singular process and singular set of committees. You know, it's not like a lot of companies where they got 14 offices around the country running it 14 different ways, according to the manager in charge, which that's obviously not the goal, but it's very difficult to do when you're spread out like that. I mean, we obviously have a lot of 
you know, air mileage points and all that going on. But I think that, you know, the team is, you know, we have just an employee engagement team and employee, you know, they call it the source, but we're going out there, we're going to job sites, we're promoting the culture and the teamwork, the trust, and not just with the power design employees, but I mean, they're going on sites and buying lunch for the whole job site and, you know, promoting like, Hey, you know, get to know the person you're working next to, even from like a separate trade and, you know, taking that to heart. And And so do you think the ability to run it all out of one office has kind of allowed you to gel and create that consistency of culture, which kind of has also helped, I think, allow you guys to grow at 20, 30% year over year still at this pace? Yeah, absolutely. You can react faster. I mean, for as well as we do it, we don't think we're perfect at it. And that's part of it too. We always just see like, all right, well, that was a win and we integrated this person, but we definitely could have done smoother, given that person a smoother ride and getting ramped up in the process because it's super fast paced around here. But, you know, we do have an onboarding team and that's actively looking for that feedback loop. And we're always trying to get the onboarding on pace, the support on pace, the ongoing training and the communication on pace. Having the single office is great. And it just makes it easier to have a lot of those conversations. But let's not forget that the majority of the work is being done all around the country and not in St. Pete. It's true. Yeah. I'm a little jealous too. I didn't actually get to go down and visit you guys. My co-founder did, but apparently your office, he said, is probably gives the whole Google campus a run for its money in terms of being the most high tech office he's probably ever seen. We're trying. <laughs> We're trying. I feel like we have something going on all the time. I and mean, we we had a addition going when they visited. I don't think it was open at the time, but we have a three-story addition that just opened up. And then we got the, a couple of buildings next door and purchased as well. And it just keeps going, dude. We got a little shuttle running around. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you kind of talk about that with Slack and some of the other software, but like, what are some of the techniques you used with technology to help kind of manage that growth and to be able to deploy software out there effectively. You know, I know you make sure you have buy-in as you were talking about from the supers before making any decisions, but what is kind of the process that you found that works best? Well, you know, we have, you know, definitely the RFP, right? I mean, we have different needs that pop up a thousand different ways, right? I mean, all of a sudden something becomes transparent or becomes visible where it's like, okay, you know, it's either we have a contract that's ending or we have like just a growing issue or like all of a sudden we've scaled to a point where we need a solution. And, you know, like I said, the executive involvement in that is key. One, not just to say like, oh yeah, we see that you see there's a problem, but also the direction that they provide in terms of like what our company goals are important to help, you know, again, that's a cultural thing to help keep alignment and keep the communication open to let everybody know what our focus is, why yes is yes and why no is no. But just communicating, you know, being in touch with the team members, right? I mean, so there's different sources and ways of actually getting our needs identified. You know, a lot of it is really, depending on the product, is going straight to the end user, you know, and really saying like, okay, we're evaluating X product. And I I like to do a discovery that involves a high number of end users. You know, I'll spend a couple of weeks just going around talking to as many people as I can firsthand, not, and you know, the manager perspective, the employee perspective, the end user perspective, just to really try to flush out the nuances of what people's day to day are like around a particular product and what they would like it to be like. So we build processes, right? Processes have every good intent like in the world, (laughs) but most of the time they're rigid, correct? But it's just a game plan. 
that's what you got to do. So you got to develop a game plan that checks as many boxes as you can, or at least as far as the RFP goes, it's like, all right, we want to do X, Y, Z. We want something that does this, this, and this. And so you start evaluating products that have that. But then when you get into the product, it's like, all right, well, how does this product go about achieving that? You know, and and then timing comes into play and relevance and who in terms of like who needs it and when and all that fun stuff. But, you know, once you've flushed out the majority of that, you know, you get your top three, top two selections of a product, get the executive buy-in, we hone it in, and then it becomes about, you know, what you guys experience. And then we start getting the executive team to actually reach out. Because I mean, not only is it, do we like to have relationships with our customer base, but also with our vendor base and, you know, people that we're actually relying on to do business with to you know be the foundation of you know our skill sets that we're trying to develop right so we need to one just understand what you as a company are about and to get to know you as people and kind of get the vibe see the whites of your eyes kind of thing and shake some hands and see kind of uh you know not necessarily what kind of caliber person you are but you know just get to know you no, I think it's important. I think you guys were definitely putting us through our paces on that in that regard, both pushing on the product and also I think those were a lot of good questions around. You know, I don't get that as often around, you know, what does it really mean to you guys as a company? What's the vision? What's kind of important to how you operate? And I think it showed that those were important factors for power design, given the fact that you, know, you spent the time to stress those things and have multiple discussions around it was kind of impressive. We don't usually get, you know, a lot of times it's features or cost, not as much, you know, what really makes you uh, tick. And so you can kind of see that's the culture in the company that you guys run just through that process. Yeah. Again, that's a cultural thing that's hard to write down or put into words, but sometimes it just comes down to that gut feeling of doing business with somebody. This wasn't like, you know, a lot of our stuff, when we implement it, we intend to implement it to a good amount of people, at least with the stuff that I deal with. Sometimes, you know, a lot of different tools that we look for do serve a specific set of people. But in the instance of a field wire rollout, that was like 98% of the company. So, <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know, hey, let's just go to the app store and start buying this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So talked about that a little bit, if you don't mind, is that, you know, we obviously got to experience the process firsthand, but you know, for some of the folks out there, you guys spent a lot of time in thinking about how you incorporate and get buy-in from a change management perspective, you know, doing a rolling deployment, getting the regional buy-in, you know, can you kind of go into some detail on exactly what that process is that you like to run with your vendors? Any software that you've deployed, like, you know, we worked with some really large, amazing customers, but sometimes it's very organic or it's just a top-down mandate versus, you know, really making the whole company part of that buy-in decision and then getting it in everybody's hands, like you said, 97% of people over just a period of a couple of months. You know, it was very kind of strategic and the execution was very uh, well thought through. Yeah, well, part of, you know, simultaneously, I, for, I honestly forget kind of the timing of this whole, of when you guys came and, you know, we had that conversation versus when we actually started the pilots. I think we had the pilots going first, but it was very close time frame but you know really this not being our first rodeo in terms of trying to communicate and train not just applications in the field i mean we have process changes all the time we have a group of people we have an internal bpi business process improvement team we have a training team we have people who are always looking at this stuff and i think our our training department's phenomenal at having like that relationship 
with our field teams and our office teams because they're always trying to say like, all right, you may not necessarily understand the process for this, but there's a bigger vision, you know, in general and just a constant support mechanism. So it's not just like a train and like cram some bunch of information down people's throat, but it's also that being there as that support and that dialogue. And this not being our first time, we had an existing dialogue going on. So these aren't like new faces that they're seeing delivering information. I mean, they're, we have field training personnel, we have IT support personnel, you know, we try to, again, being part of the culture and the teamwork, we try to get everybody in front of everybody as any opportunity we get to shake hands and, you know, say, Hey, I do this, you do that. And I'm working on this, you're working on that. And, you know, definitely we have plenty of social events at the office as well that promote just the mingling and just everybody get to know each other and have some fun together. And I think, you know, having that kind of lack side of it promotes other business conversations. Right. So, but anyway, having, been through several iterations of, you know, in our regional trainings of like, you know, say, Hey, we have this coming down the pipeline and here's going to be the goal more to come simultaneously while we're doing the company announcements. We have like our key players that have helped us either implement before or are trusted amongst the other superintendents. Like we have our veteran supers or our veteran personnel who that guy's been there for a while. They've shown other people how to do things and how to achieve things and overcome obstacles. And we go to those people and those trusted, you know, veterans and leadership and personalities out there that are like, Hey, I don't necessarily understand this right now, but if Joe says it's good, there must be something to it, you know? And so, I mean, we have those different relationships internally too, that, you know, you just need to lean on each other as a company to help each other understand and help build the trust as you roll out a product. So, I mean, as we hit these different key personnels in the different regions, you know, there were ups and downs with it, but then you help them understand the business decision too. You always start with the why and different people have different questions around the why and they want to go into different avenues and directions pertaining to that. It's like, all right, well, why technically this one versus that one? Why business this one versus that one? Why aesthetically this one versus that one? You know, whatever. And it's, you just always kind of help help them understand that aspect of it in terms of the origin of a project and then just help them through it and help them answer any questions they have by hopefully identifying as many of those questions beforehand as possible. If you've got like 80% of the questions already answered when they ask you about it, meaning you flushed through it and really been through all the existing processes because we understand the business and we understand what's coming at them in the crazy work environment or from the corporate level down that they're already being asked to, you just make it relative. Is there any you know large project that you guys are biting off right now or anything that you're looking at uh, deploying next? Well, I mean, we got open space rolling on a good amount of projects right now. I think we're still moving forward with that piece. And we have internal tools that we're building as well, project management tools that I don't necessarily get too involved with other than from an integration standpoint. So, I mean, we have a whole suite of project management, you know, status tracking, project status dashboard, you know, different KPIs and metrics that are getting run. You know, we have time tracking and it's an ever evolving beast because, I mean, we've basically become our own tech company and development company to build our own tools. And we have an internal team dedicated to it, but it just, that's part of our secret sauce too. It just, you know, we like to be masters of our own destiny as much as possible. So I think at some point we were just like, you know what, we know exactly what we need. We don't want to buy 20 tools to achieve it. We might as well build a tool, own it, run it, 
I think most companies would agree with wanting to be masters of their own destiny. So it's just a matter of being able to pull it off, I guess. Yeah, I guess that, uh, to accomplish that, it's really making sure, you're, again, you're bringing in the right talent to be able to build those tools is, I guess, probably the uh, key blocker for a lot of folks. Is that uh, probably how you guys approach it or what would I think that the key to it is really being able to understand the business needs. I mean, you can find programmers just, I won't say just anywhere, but I mean, and that's the same issue we have for everything else related to our company is like, well, we can't find them anywhere, but how are we going to ramp them up quickly to get them to understand? And then once they understand the logic, then the dialogue becomes much simpler. But and then that also comes back to understanding the business need and having a clear, again, back to the executive front and direction and, you know, having those key personnel who are going to help feed the requirements for the project, help build it, you know, and put all that in. And then the people who are going to communicate that and organize that for the dev team. That's kind of an interesting one too, because, you know, we're always looking for top talent and, you know, finding quality engineers is always a difficulty. It's quite the competition, but I guess, you know, as you're seeing right now on site, I would imagine there's still a bit of a labor shortage or challenge that you guys are trying to also compete against. Yeah, I can't speak as well as far as like what our labor pool looks like for developers, other than just to say, you know, it's not like, hey, let's throw open a rec and we have somebody within a week. It ain't like that. That's for sure. I mean, not only the people that you get, but then the vetting process. And then, I mean, not not only for just the developer side, but any other side. I mean, you can go to the VDC department or engineering department. We are highly protective back to the culture. We're highly protective of our culture and who we invite into the family. So. You know, I think that, you know, personalities have to jive and, you know, there has to be the working relationship and there has to be an element of a personal relationship too. It's safe to assume that the culture that you guys have built, that focus on it, it's also what's helped kind of tackle the labor shortage challenges that folks are facing in the market. Yeah. So one is culture. That's just the foot in the door. Two is the aptitude. It's chicken and egg kind of thing, but you have to have both. (laughs) I mean, and then, you know, you may have somebody who fits both of those, but just the environment just ain't their bag, you know, it's just like, well, this isn't exactly the pace that I was looking for or the complexity I was looking for, or maybe it's just not quite the brand I was looking for. You know, who knows what it is. I think that's always the fun of fast growing companies is, you know, you can always find great talent, but great talent for the right stage sometimes is always a bit difficult. So, well, again, Brad, really appreciate your time. Love working with you guys. Love the insights that you guys have on the industry and appreciate your sharing with us. No, likewise. You guys are great. I appreciate the open line of communication, the open door and the open dialogue. 